Welcome to Mamosas. Hope you have your friends and your drinks nearby. You're here with Kristen. And Talia. And we're here to talk all things mom. So it's September, which means Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. So you know that we're going to do an episode on this. I was thinking about it this week and I was like, why is this only our second episode about this? But we had started the podcast, like we launched it in October Mm. of 2018. And we did do Sky. Sky Story is one of our episode seven i was gonna say six or seven it's episode seven so absolutely go back and listen to that for sky's story all about uh if you don't know yeah for some reason you're new here and you don't know why childhood cancer awareness month is so important to us yeah if you don't know sky was born with a rare form of childhood leukemia called jmml juvenile myelomonocytic leukemia and she was in the hospital for 10 months from age 15 months to 20, no, 16 months to 25, 26 months. So basically uh, 10 months in there and she received three bone marrow transplants and she had a secondary cancer, multiple blood transfusions, multiple platelet transfusions, tons of infections, was told that she wasn't going to survive like a couple of surgeries, was given a 10% chance of survival when she received her secondary cancer diagnosis. So to say that she's a warrior is a pretty big understatement in my book. Like she's a pretty badass mofo. So Sky is our cancer awareness child and we love talking about it and raising awareness because childhood cancer only gets a very small percentage of the funding that goes towards cancer research. I think it's like 4%, 3 or 4%. It's very underrepresented, and there are so many different types of childhood cancers that people don't know about. A lot of people know about ALL, which is leukemia, and that's kind of what you think about when you think of like childhood cancer, but there's so many other types of cancers, and it really affects the whole family. Like, it's not just somebody going through cancer, it's the whole family is like fighting like your hair is on fire. Extended family, I mean, you had your mom was there through it all your in-laws were there you got they basically had a schedule so it's either your mom was there or your in-laws were there Mm-hmm. yeah and we we set that up just to have support for ourselves and Todd and I were with her the whole time I took a leave uh from work and we lived in the hospital room for 10 months 299 days I mean but who's counting so I mean my tattoo my tattoo's counting uh, so Todd and I have these uh, matching tattoos of uh, first sky and it is a swallow, which represents a long journey complete. And it's carrying the ribbon for childhood cancer. And it says 299. So that's how long we were in the hospital together. And we came out and it was like, I remember driving, we were at UCLA. And I remember for those people who know LA, when you're driving down the hill to get to like the 101 freeway on the 405. I remember looking in the review mirror and Todd was sitting in the back with Sky, and it was almost like we were driving out of like a bomb having exploded like in an action movie. I said to him, how in the heck did we just get out of that? Like, how did we survive that? And also, you know, you said it affects the whole family. We can edit this part out if you want. But you had like afterward, you went and got like a lot of testing done for yourself and your vitamin D was like non-existent. Yeah. So Todd and I, we, for the first probably three months, we didn't leave the hospital with 
the room with the exception of going to the nurse's station to bug somebody because Sky had a fever or to find out if her test results had come in or something like that. Or we would go down to the cafeteria to get like a cup of coffee. But like we never stepped foot outside because we didn't want to leave her. Or you'd have to go like grab food from someone, which was also like literally like a foot outside and then like, okay, bye. Like I can't have your germs. So yeah. So and then we finally said, okay, we need to make a commitment to ourselves to each take 20 minutes to be outside. And they were not enjoyable. I mean, at least not for me. I'm sure Todd probably was like, oh, this is great. I'm outside. I'm smelling the fresh air. I'm looking at the scenery. I'm listening to, you know, some podcast or I'm watching Fail Army or whatever. And I was just like, has it been 20 minutes yet? Can I go back inside? This is not fun. What are they doing? Is she okay? I mean, like, does she need to nurse? You know, like total, like just... Uh, very anxious about it. So my vitamin D level, I think I was at like 13 or something. And I don't know what normal is. I, I mean, either. we can look, I mean, obviously not 13. And I'm still taking vitamin D supplements. Like you live in Southern California. Southern California. So it's not like you yeah. have low access to sun. Yeah. So our vitamin D was obviously very affected uh, in that and it's just like, I mean, we were sleeping in a hospital bed or on the couch. I mean, that's... There's alarms going off all the time. So it's not oh, like yeah, you're getting beeping. a full night of sleep. You know, nurses are coming in and out all the time. Yeah, every four hours, Sky got vitals done. And like, she was still in diapers. So they would also change her diaper, take her temperature, take her blood pressure. And then, of course, like, I'm in bed with her. So I'm like looking, what's her temperature? So it's like two in the morning. And I'm like, what's, what was her temperature every single night? Yeah. Without fail. And then it's, does she feel warm? She feels warm. Let's take her temperature. Or, oh, she's moaning. Is she okay? Or if she did have a fever, then we were up all night with the nurses drawing blood cultures. And then we're waiting for the results to come back. And now at UCLA, the last time we went, which was last September. Uh, oh, the last Sky, time we like, stayed overnight? The last time we stayed overnight. Okay. Guy had popped a fever. And so we... Now with COVID, it's not how it is right now. <clears throat> but before COVID, if she popped a fever, we would just have to go to UCLA because she needs. we need to make sure that, you know, she doesn't have an infection or, you know, she's under, you know, watchful eyes over there. So was that one of her only fevers after you guys left the hospital? Or did she Maybe she had two. Like, I remember she didn't get that much no she has she's had a couple of fevers she had one when we came so we came out of the hospital in may of 2017 and then we were back and forth a lot but it was because of her uh g-tube yeah she was having a lot of tube issues she was having a lot of motility issues so we were back and forth there a lot for that and then she had a lung infection and so, and she did get a fever for that. So we were there and that's when they discovered that she had some issues going on with her lungs. So she has what's called graft versus host disease, which is where, you know, when you get a transplant, the host, your body sort of fights the graft. It could last for a short period of time and be very mild or it could last for a long period of time and be very aggressive. The type of transplant that she got the third time around was a much more aggressive transplant because it was like the Hail Mary, like this is the only way it's going to work if we just hit her with a thousand. And so she does still deal with side effects. And one of them is she has graft versus host disease in her lungs. So what that looks like, she'll get like a CT scan and they're called 
glass-like opacities. And what that means is they're just like little like dots and they look kind of fuzzy. So they're not clear. They're just like little fuzzy dots in her lungs. And we had, we had to rule out infection. So she had to get like a bronchial lavage, which is where they shoot water into your lungs and like extract the water out. And then they look at what came out with it. And then we could say, okay, it's not a lung infection. It's graft versus host disease. And so she's on a steroid medication for that, an inhalant steroid. But so she went in a couple of times into the hospital because of that. And the last time she went was last year, she popped a fever. And she had like, you know, they did all they did their the cult, the blood cultures where they test for a bacterial infection, a fungal infection, or a why can't I think of the third one? It's not viral. A viral, viral oh, okay. infection. Viral, there's nothing you can do about. If you have a viral infection, it's just like, all right, like we'll make it comfortable. Bacterial and fungal are a little bit more serious, and there's usually antibiotics or medications that you can be on to take care of those. She came back clear. She didn't have any three of those infections, and it was just her lungs were kind of raring up a little bit. But what UCLA had, which was interesting, which they didn't have when we were there, is they had given each room an iPad and you logged in. You know, we have her patient ID number and stuff like that. And you could log in and then you could get test results as they were coming in. And we have that on our phone. Like we have the UCLA app. So when she goes to the clinic and she gets labs done or tests done, we get them as they come in, as the nurse, as the nurse practitioner releases them. And they come back much faster at the hospital, but you always had to wait for a nurse to like, you know, and you would just like every time the nurse would come in, did we get any uh, lab results yet? No. Or like any blood culture results yet? Did anything grow? No. So now it's like, you don't have to bug people. You can just kind of check and be, you know, anal on your own and just refresh every, you know, hour or so. And does someone come explain that to you? Like, Okay, so you get the results, but is there still a doctor obviously comes in and is like, oh, did you see the results? This is what they mean. Because even though you guys have been through it, like, you know what most of this stuff means. It doesn't mean most people do. I feel like if it's probably like your first rodeo or you're new to it, they probably would explain. Like, I remember when we were there for the first time, like, I remember doing our intake interview and the doctor was asking us all these questions. And it was like, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? I don't know. And I remember like hearing like other like, you know, cancer moms like talking about with all these acronyms and all these tests and all these different medications. And I had no clue what they were talking about. And now it's like, it's like speaking another language. But I remember when we were new, they, you know, there were a couple of really great nurses. I mean, it all comes down to the nurses. Like there's a couple of really great nurses who like explained everything. Like this is what this means. You know, if it's low, it means this. If it's high, it means that. This is what we're looking for. This is the range we want. You know, this is the goal, blah, blah, blah. And then we have an amazing oncologist who also is wonderful at, at explaining things to us. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you this, right? Because everyone could go back to episode seven and, and hear like like the extent of her journey. Um, and we also talk about it all the time because it's part of your life. Tell us what was helpful for you. Like, what were things that were really helpful for you when you guys were going through that? So what was very helpful for me was having a good support base, but people that just listened, like not offering unsolicited advice, 
not telling me about their cousin's grandma who had cancer back in 1972 and she died. Like, that's not helpful. So, like, if you know somebody who's going through cancer treatment, especially, especially if it's their child, do not tell them about your third cousin that died of neuroblastoma. Like, I feel like that should be so obvious. Like, I... I understand the need to relate and I definitely understand people wanting to tell you like a success story like, oh, I, my friend had that and there's, they went through it and it was definitely very hard. They're fine now. They're thriving. Like I could definitely understand sharing that. But like, why would you share a story about someone who died? Like, yeah, I mean, I remember when Sky was diagnosed and I had a coworker that was like, oh, my gosh, that's so horrible. One of my really good friends son died of leukemia seven years ago, and now they have this charity. And I'm like, uh, I don't even know what to say. I was like dumbfounded. Um, so obviously don't do that unless you are like you have been in the trenches I don't want to hear your story. Like, I don't want to hear your friend's cousin's grandma's story. Like, unless you, like, your kid went through cancer. And even then, like, if I met, if I came across somebody who was currently having a kid going through cancer, I would probably say something to them like, oh, my gosh, like, I am here. I am here to listen. My daughter went through cancer. It was so hard. How can I help you? Like, that's all you need to say. You don't need to say, like, I don't need to go into her life story. I don't need to go into the successes and failures. Because let me tell you, as a parent, all you do is you're like, like, I just immediately started comparing. Like, I found this blog of somebody. There's a, a family that lives in Ventura. And I think I've said this before. There's a family that lives in our town who had the exact same cancer. The son had the exact same cancer as Sky had. And everybody, like, wanted to tell me, have you reached out to so-and-so's mom? He had JMML. She has a blog. He's doing great. Blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, good for him. Like, that's awesome. Like, I'm glad he's great. And I'm glad he survived. Blah, 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 blah. Like, I can't do it. And like one night, I remember we were in the hospital and I just like broke down and I looked at her blog and I started reading it. And the kid wound up on life support at one point, And I was like, nope, I'm out. Like, I can't, I can't read this. Even knowing that there was a good outcome, that was still hard for you to know, like how bad it got. Yeah, it was still very triggering because it was an, I immediately started comparing and thinking, oh my gosh, what if that happens to Sky? And just because this kid had a good outcome doesn't mean my kid's going to have a good outcome and vice versa. Just because they have a bad outcome doesn't mean that my kid's going to have a bad outcome. It's just so easy to compare and I don't find it helpful. Some people might, I do not. I also think it was super important for us to have to have like as little to think about as possible so we could focus solely on sky. So like you set up a meal train for us and people just like came out of the woodwork and like nobody knew that they'd be feeding us for 10 months. But I would say for the most part, like there were a couple of like dips in like days where like there were a couple of times that like we didn't have anyone sign up. But for the most part, we had somebody giving us food every single day. And I know we've mentioned her before, but Linda brought me food. She made food for us at least once or twice a week for those 10 months. Yeah. So people would drop it off at my mom's house and then my mom would bring it up to UCLA and we had a refrigerator in our room. And so we just kept it in the room. And that was so nice because not only did it save us money because I wasn't working, so I wasn't 
we had no income coming in. So not only did it save us money, but it also was something that we didn't have to think about. We didn't have to sit there and go, what do you want for dinner tonight? I don't know. Where do we want to go? Who do we want to pick up from? It was like, it was just right there and we didn't have to think about it. So that was really helpful. Having somebody, Linda's husband, Russ, mowed our lawns, even after we got out of the hospital. Like, I think he did it for like two or three months after we got out. So having someone sort of take care of of the house, essentially. Yeah. And we were very lucky that we only had one child. I know parents and families that had multiple kids. That's really challenging because you have to, you know, either decide one parent's going to be with your child in the hospital and the other parent's going to be at home with the other children, or if you have like family members that can like take and watch the other child. So that way you can be with them, but then also take turns going home to see them. Like we were very lucky. Like we didn't have to worry about that because I would imagine that balancing act would be very tough. And I know when I've had to, when we've been in the hospital since leaving there and I've had to like, I would commute to and from work. It was always hard for me to kind of be away and wonder like what's going on. Okay. The doctors are here. Todd, here are all the questions you need to ask. Right. Like find out about this, find out about that. How's she doing? How's she looking? How's she feeling? Like it's not the same as being there and seeing it physically for yourself. Sure. So that was a blessing for us that we didn't have to worry about that. But if you did have other kids having somebody that can help you with the other children. And it's hard for them too. Like I can't imagine being a sibling of a kid, being a sibling of someone who's in the hospital. Cause that must be scary too. I'm sure what's happening to my brother or sister. Are they okay? Why can't mommy and daddy come home? Why can't they come home? Is everything going to be okay? I mean, all of that stuff is like very, very scary kind of a lot of attention going to that sick kid, understandably, but obviously as the not sick kid, that takes a toll. Yeah. I mean, uh, you've seen, I've seen a couple of cases on a personal level of that where it's the sick child got all the attention from the parents and that causes the other child to either act out or to pull away and just kind of like internalize that. I would say also getting counseling was super important for us. It got to a point where I was just, I think after Sky had gotten her second cancer diagnosis and I said, I can't do this anymore without talking to like a therapist. Like I need, I need support. And we found somebody who they were really their purpose of the program was free counseling. And the purpose was mostly to service the patients. So like the children who were diagnosed. And I just kind of said, well, look, our daughter's one. She doesn't know what's going on other than this freaking sucks and she's in a hospital and she's uncomfortable and she's doesn't feel good, but she doesn't, she can't verbalize anything. She doesn't know what's going on. Her parents, on the other hand, are very aware of what's going on and we would like some help and support and they were able to, to meet with us. That's good. Yeah. And that was very helpful. So once a week, Todd and I had counseling separately. So we would just like take turns. I think like my session was from like nine to nine fifty, and his was from 10 to 10 50. So I'd walk back to the room and then I'd get there and then he would leave. And it was like across the street on like a, in another building. Also just, I think it, I mean, you know, people always say that cancer makes or breaks your family in the sense of like, it'll make you stronger or it'll rip you apart. 
And we tried very, very hard to remain positive and hopeful, even though it was like probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do was like, you know, okay, your kid has a 10% chance of surviving and trying to like have a smile on our face and like, you know, sing and dance and have fun with Sky. But like, we made a commitment, Todd and I made a commitment and we told our parents and, you know, anyone who came into the room, like, do not come into this room and feel sorry for her and start crying and like, don't like if you need to cry totally understandable go out to the waiting room go out to the hallway and like come back when you're ready but we never wanted to have her see anyone be sad because we didn't want to we just didn't want to embody that and I think that was something really important to us and that was something that I think Todd's parents were super helpful with because that's just how they are like I mean I remember his mom just saying to me like she's perfect like she is the perfect, you know, image of God's child, like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, whatever. But like, but it did help, like it helped, you know, yeah. it helped me to feel just like hopeful and like the hope. I mean, I have a t-shirt that says hope is this is the only thing stronger than fear. And like, it's so true. Like you have to have hope. If you lose hope, then I think that's, and it's so hard to keep hope alive, especially when you get like just slammed with all kinds of crazy diagnosis and like, a, a bunch of hopeless news and I mean a doctor that tells you to take your kid and put them on palliative care and there's nothing more you can do for them like I will forever remember that like for those I mean go back to episode seven but we basically had a, a doctor who told us that there was like a first of all he wanted to send us home Sky had her secondary cancer it started in her eyelid and it was just like her eyelid was getting more and more swollen and purple. And like, she looked like she got kicked in the face by a horse. I mean, it was so bad. And it looked like crusty. Like it looked like she had like a crust growing on the top of it. Yeah. That was once it started healing. Okay. So for, but before that, it was just like this big swollen ball on her face and it was dark purple and it was just like awful. And I kept saying, and they thought, oh, it's an eye infection. So they gave her like antibiotics and they gave us ointment and all this stuff. And it was just like awful. And then they finally did a scan. They did a biopsy and it came back as cells of leukemic nature. And then they did a full body scan and it was in her neck, on both sides of her neck, in her chest and in her back and in her eyelid which nobody had ever seen in the eyelid before. They were like, we've seen the eye or, but we'd never seen the eyelid. If it hadn't been on her eyelid, would they have caught it? Like, would they have done a full body scan before she left? No. Okay. Although she probably, so her numbers, so after her first transplant, her numbers didn't rise. So what you're looking at is you're looking at your, your white cells and the recovery. So they take you when you do a a bone marrow transplant, they take your body down to zero. You know, you have zero white cells. You, you're like, you know, somebody coughs in your face and basically could put you in a coma. Like, it's just like you have no immune system. And then after you get the transplant, then the cells start generating and, you know, going into the body and then it should start going up and up and up. Hers never really went up the first time because the spleen had taken everything. So after she got her spleen removed and they did it again, her cells were going up and it looked like everything was working. Okay. So, but she still was like not looking great. You know, she was kind of like so-so, but had it not been in her eyelid, 
and it hadn't been noticeable, they probably would have sent us home and then we would have wound up probably back very soon because she would have gotten like, you know, an infection or a fever or something. And it probably just would have taken longer to figure out. And by then, who knows at that point what could been like it could have spread even more yeah because you were really adamant about it like you were like this is weird there's something weird with her eye i don't this feels weird and the nurses you know were like oh it's just an infection you were like ah this is weird i don't like it i don't this isn't right there's something wrong look at this it's getting worse and everyone was kind of like yeah it's strange but like it's okay it's totally fine not a big deal like you were like really pushed it yeah, I mean, I well, because I knew, like, I mean, I always talk about mom gut and how real it is. Like, that was another really strong case of mom gut of like, this is not okay. There's something very wrong here. D- stop gaslighting me. Like, there's something happening with my baby. And I don't know what it is. But you guys need to figure it out. Yeah. And then so when they did figure it out, I remember also like we were talking about all these different types of treatment. They wanted to do radiation on her eyelid. I remember that. Before she had had her scan. And I was like, well, what's that going to do? Like, how are you going to do that? And they're like, well, we're going to make a little metal shield to put over her eye. And I thought, how are you going to get that underneath? This eyelid is like swollen shut to her face. Like, how are you going to get that in there? And then I thought, oh, my God, my poor baby is going to be tortured. So I was so glad that they wound up not doing that because that sounded awful. Yeah. And they were like, we don't know if we can even get the eye shield under there. And I was like, you probably can't. It's just not. If you're looking at the same thing as me, I think the answer is no. Yeah, it's like trying to fit like a corn kernel through like a piece of cheesecloth. It's just like it's not happening. Right. (laughs) So what are some things that you wish people had done? Was there anything that kind of you that you feel like maybe you missed out on? Like I know for you the like, you know, it's in God's hands and like that stuff was not for you. But was there anything maybe that you wish people had done or said that maybe could have could have felt more supportive? I mean, I feel like we were pretty supported. Okay. You know, I know you came to visit us two or three times. I mean, that's when we lived in Colorado, so. On your way to, no, but you came before you moved to quote unquote Colorado. <laughs> I mean, still don't think that happened. I mean, I also think it's rude you didn't come more often. You were right down the road, but whatever. <laughs> but like Jesse came to visit a couple of times. I had some friends in LA that like, you know, and we would just sit outside like, you know, nobody ever came in the room or anything. I did get to peek in the room from the hallway one time. You did. You did. <laughs> and Jesse did. I think Jesse actually made it into the room for like a hot second. And like we made her like change her clothes in the bathroom before she even stepped 10 feet closer to sky. Yeah, I think you had offered that. And I was like, I am not interested in being the one that makes anyone sick. So no, thanks. I'll stay out in the (laughs) hallway. I'll be out here. Goodbye. Totally sounds like accurate personalities right there. (laughs) I think had Todd and I been a little more and Todd probably actually would have done it I think it was totally me I kind of wish we had taken people up like our parents up on watching Sky and and us going to lunch together like to a restaurant or something or you know taking some time to ourselves I kind of wish we had done that I know I was just I I was so anxious when I wasn't there with her though it was really hard for me to enjoy myself 
It's understandable. I remember one night she was going to have a procedure so she couldn't eat anything 12 hours before her procedure. And like her procedure was like going to be at six in the morning or something. So, you know, Todd and I went out separately to go eat dinner because we didn't want to eat in front of her. And she wasn't eating food. She was still just like only nursing. And so your boobs couldn't be there. Well, yeah. And I remember Todd, Todd went first. No, I must have gone first. And the hope I went first. And the hope was that she would be asleep by the time I came back. So that way she wouldn't want to nurse. But of course, she nursed to sleep. So like she wasn't asleep and like Todd, I came in and like Todd was wearing her and like he was like, okay, my turn. Bye. And I was like, oh, God. And like the whole time she was just, you know, signing milk and like pulling up my shirt. And I was like, no, I can't nurse you. And she was just like, ah, big middle finger. Why are you so rude? And I was like, oh, this is torture. But I, I feel like I remember there were a couple of times that my mom said, why don't you and Todd like where she's sleeping? She's taking a nap. I'll lay with her. You know, why don't you guys go like somewhere? We were in Westwood. Why don't you go to somewhere in Westwood and just have lunch? And I was like, no, thanks. I'd rather shovel this food down my gullet in five minutes flat and then lay in bed with her. But thanks for the offer. I feel like laying in bed with Sky was your mom's bread and butter, too. Like she loved napping with her. Oh, my God. Well, my mom. So my mom was also going through her second round of cancer. And so she was like, I mean, they were fighting side by side. So my mom, my mom's husband would drive her to UCLA and she would sleep in the car and then she'd get up here and she would like she would get there and like we'd always watch them from the window and she'd be like, like, you know, the Energizer buddy, like waving to Sky through the window and just like all this stuff. And like he's like carrying like 9000 tote bags and stuff like that. My mom's just like, yeah you know it's like all the food and stuff like that and her purse and like she would get up there and sky would be all excited to be with her and like they'd like you know read a book or like watch a movie and then they would like fall asleep and my mom was just like scooch aside talia this is my cuddle time and they should just like climb in bed with her and they would like sleep together all the time it was so cute the tote bag is like the one remaining sign of your mom's midwestern roots Oh my God, so many tote bags. So, so many tote bags. Oh my gosh. Okay, so tell us about some of the foundations that you like. Obviously, people can do their own research, but some of the foundations that you like for childhood cancer. So I'll talk about foundations, then I'll also talk about ways that you personally can help. So easy, like if you want to make a donation, Make-A-Wish is a great foundation. You know, they're supporting kids going on, you know, their dream trips or meeting someone or, you know, these kids have fought for their lives. And now this is kind of their like, you know, and even and it's for kids who have won their battle or kids that may not. But it's just to kind of give them like a good time. The Ronald McDonald House uh, is a foundation that supports the family. So we were very fortunate that we could stay in Sky's hospital room, but not all places are like that. Sometimes they only have room for like one parent. And so the other parent has to stay off site. And usually when you have places where kids are fighting cancer, they have Ronald McDonald houses close by. It's totally free for the families to stay there. There's Hyundai Hope on Wheels does this whole thing. They give a lot of money to childhood cancer research. Local organizations, like I know by us, there's the Bumblebee Foundation. And there's like a V17 Strong or something like that. There's Oh, yeah. I remember that from last year. Yeah, yeah, wait, seven, 17 strong. It's just 17 strong. It's, oh, that's right. 
it's it was a foundation that was made by a father who actually had a son that was fighting right down the hall from us and he lost his battle with cancer but it's for kids that are older than 18 to go so make a wish only goes to 18 so this supports young people young adults 18 to i think 30 kind of doing like a similar like make a wish thing it says on the profile a victory trip yeah so it's their victory trip so they've won their battle and now they get their victory trip okay and they can also like meet somebody you know whatever they decide saint jude's people a lot of people know about saint jude hospital they are a hospital that will um they don't charge families that are going through cancer treatment so it's totally 100 percent paid for and you i mean if you ever have been to the movie theater in the last, you know, 10 years. I mean, obviously not right now, but they usually have St. Jude commercials and stuff like that with celebrities. But it is true. Like they do pay for 100% of the treatment. Another way that people can help is for hospitals that do have kids fighting cancer, they usually have places like a playroom or an activity room or something, and you can volunteer. And that is something, you know, kids will come in and they do like crafts or you can play with them or read to them. Sometimes they have like big activity days. We didn't go to them until after Sky had been out of treatment. And then we went a couple of times, like when she was back in for like little things. And it was, I remember one time they had, a, it was a Barbie theme where like a woman was like dressed up like Barbie and they were doing like Barbie face painting and Barbie games and stuff like that. And Sky was all over it. Um, and they've had also had times where it's like, you know, you're just sitting there painting or doing puzzles with people, but it's something that you can volunteer to do. It's free. It sounds like an ovary exploding time for being honest. Yeah. I mean, it's very sweet and it's a lot of times it's people who have been through the experience, you know, like I wound up talking to a lot of women there who were saying like, Oh, my kid, you know, went through treatment here or somewhere else. And I just want to give back. There was a boy who was volunteering who had been in remission for like 10 years or something. When he was a kid, he had cancer and he was helping out and stuff like that. And it just, you know, he wanted to give back because he remembered being, you know, 10 or 11 and how meaningful it was to have somebody to play with or you know, do a fun activity with. They have like the little cars that you can drive around. I mean, it depends on your hospital and stuff like that. But that's another way that you can. And they always are looking for volunteers. I mean, like, usually it's like elderly people that which is like, fine, like, no shame on that. But you know, they go around and ask, you know, can I get you anything? You know, do you want a coloring book? Do you want a toy? Stuff like that. And it's just a, a way to help the hospital. And to like help the families because a lot of times if you don't have volunteers, that's something that kind of I mean, it's not a necessity. So it kind of gets swept to the side. But if you had volunteers, then, you know, it doesn't fall on the nursing staff, which usually I mean, those are some amazing, phenomenal people who like don't have time to like go to the playroom and look for like a doll for your two year old. And they probably do. And then they and they do. And they do, you know, and they don't have time to, but they do it because that's just who they are. Yeah. Um, so volunteering at your local uh, children's hospital is something that really can be, you know, beneficial. And if you have kids, like you could find out what their policy is. I don't know if they allow people under 18 to like come 
And it is, I will say, a double-edged sword because while it might be, like now that I think about it after I said that, it might be hard for families. Like I know I would have had a really hard time if like there was like a three, a two-year-old or a three-year-old there that was like a healthy kid. Like I know we've talked about that. Like you had to stop sending me pictures of Nate for a while because I was just like, I'm sorry. I just, I can't hear about what he's doing. I can't see what he's doing right now. My kid is just so sick and fighting for her life. And like, I'm so glad he's healthy and he's doing great. But I just like, I can't see anything or hear anything about it. So that might be kind of hard. But, and I'm also thinking too, like even bringing like a six-year-old, like they're gross. Like, I'm not bringing a yeah. six-year-old into a cancer ward. No, probably not. And it's probably also, like, there's probably so many, like, liability issues and stuff like that. Yeah. Making cards, okay. you know, like, stuff like that. Like, you could make cards and, like, send them to hospitals. Like, you know, you've got this. Like, I hope you feel better. You know, it's just little things like that, you know, you don't necessarily think about. But they make a big difference to the people that are there. Like, to just feel like you're not alone and people are thinking of you. Okay. So that's ways you can help. Oh, I love it. Those are some pretty easy ways, especially now that we're all stuck in the house. Maybe a little bit harder to volunteer, but I think everyone home with kids could probably make a card or two and ship it off to their local children's hospital. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something, it's easy, it's fairly uh, inexpensive, and it would mean a lot to the people that are on the receiving end. All right. Well, I know what we're doing for school the next couple of weeks. Woo woo. <laughs> All right. So anything else that you want to add before we wrap this up? Trust your mom gut. Hold those kids close and enjoy them. And, and even though you're stuck in the house, imagine being stuck in one room in your house. So you got it made. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.